Hey, expats and travelers alike, I am Josh, and this is the Expats Everywhere podcast. In today's episode, I sit down with Sofian from Singapore, and he talks about his transition from Australia to Lisbon, Portugal. Hope you guys enjoy. Hey, expats and travelers alike, it's Josh with Expats Everywhere, and in this interview today about Portugal, we talk to Sofian, and he discusses about a hot topic racism here in Portugal. He goes through that and he also has one of the most extensive costs of living that we've had in any of our interviews. Hope you guys enjoy. If you could, tell us your name, where you're from, and a little about yourself. Hey everyone, uh, my name is Sofian. Most of my friends call me Sof and I'm originally from Singapore. And to the benefit of the Singapore audience, I'm part Malay and part Chinese in case you're wondering. I, I was born and raised in Singapore, then I moved out of Singapore in 2015, and since then I've been living in Australia, but also I, I was based in other places around the world and traveled a bit, and now I'm here in Lisbon, Portugal. Awesome. Well, you actually have a laundry list of different countries that you have work experience in, so could you quickly rattle off some of the places that you've spent some significant time in? I lived in Bali, I worked in Bangkok. Uh, I lived in Dubai and worked over there a little bit, San Francisco, um, Scottish borders in Scotland, and also in Sydney, Australia, recently. Fantastic. Well, let's jump straight into this. Why did you decide to move to Portugal? Well, Portugal wasn't really the obvious choice. Initially, I came here as a tourist back in 2017. I spent a week over here. I traveled to Porto, to other cities and Sintra. And gradually, I really learned to like it a lot. You know, I thought maybe this could be a possibility. Then the following year, in 2018, I came back here. Yeah, I was drawn to, to move to Lisbon somehow. But I need to find a way how to make it possible. So I searched for jobs and I also searched for other options, like you know, starting a business over here. And um, being that history, a bit of that history nerd, I was trying to look for the Asian connection with Portugal because Portuguese empire came to my part of the world. Mm -hmm. But somehow the history wasn't really well known here compared to African and Brazilian history. Right. So I thought that's the gap over here. I thought this is this could be something possible. So that's hence this I'm here to start a business. Ah, okay. Fantastic. Well, being from Singapore and working in several other countries, how do you feel that Asians are treated and perceived in Portugal? I think in general, the Portuguese are pretty welcoming. Um, I haven't experienced any sort of like, um, you know, racism or, or ill treatment, except for a little aggression. Uh, uh, that was in a trip, a recent trip to, to the supermarket. You know, as I'm still new to this country, I'm still learning Portuguese. I think people have this expectation that I can, I have to speak Portuguese. So uh, the cashier raised a voice at me. I think in general, yeah, it's been okay so far over here. And I feel very much welcome. I feel treated equal like everybody else. Okay. Well, that's good to know. That's absolutely good to know. Have you, have you felt it anywhere else on your travels, on your, your living abroad experiences? I can say to a certain extent, I did experience uh, racism in, in Australia, especially uh, during the start of the pandemic where, mm. you know, Asians get verbal street abuse. Uh, and that's just part of it. And, and it's kind of unfortunate in the sense that, you know, if Australians don't understand, you know, there's this diverse Asian community. Mm -hmm. So they, they think all Asians are 
Chinese. So that's, mm. that's unfortunate in that sense. So apart from that, I think Sydney has been, you know, quite it's quite welcoming and quite open to to uh, to foreigners. Yeah. Okay, that's good to know. Well, if you could, can you briefly explain what you do for work and what a typical day looks like? Because I think a lot of people uh, okay. are looking at coming to Portugal and working maybe in a more freelance capacity, not working so much in a local company. So if you could explain that to our viewers. Yeah, as far as I know, more, uh, I know a lot of people are on the B7 visa where they earn a passive income and they come here and live over here. But I'm on the other hand, I'm, I'm quite unique in the sense I'm on a D2 visa, which is a entrepreneur visa. So I am here basically running my own creative business when it's a one-man show. So I, I offer cooking classes on Airbnb Experience, and this is called Portugal and the Spice Roots. Uh, this will be only available after the lockdown. Uh, and so because of safety measures, I want to make sure that everything will be okay. And then uh, my cooking class is going to be uh, sharing the story about the Portuguese influences in my part of the world and um, bringing that story back, introducing Portuguese Eurasian food and also Malay cuisine into this part of the world. And these are cuisines that are not available in this country and it's something very unique. Um, so I want to share it with the Portuguese audience and also like to people traveling from abroad to understand the side of, of Portugal's empire. And uh, also at the same time, I, I have my own YouTube channel called Weave the Story. Uh, why I call it Weave the Story is that because all our foods we eat, uh, and there's a story behind it. And what I'm essentially what I'm doing is trying to share some history, some stories behind the food or all my personal anecdotes about the foods I, I enjoy eating. It's how it started. My typical day, it varies because I'm a one-man show and doing this freelance and uh, it can start it can start from maybe seven o'clock in the morning. I can go up to 10 p.m. at night, mm -hmm. or sometimes I decided to just take a break at five o'clock and just rest for the rest of the day. So I think it depends. I think the lockdown somehow has made it more flexible. Right. Uh, but I think it's going to be quite different once uh, the lockdown is over and when things get back to normal. Okay. Well, great. You, you know, I find you to be, um, and this is a, a positive thing. I find you to be a very classical Singaporean in that you love food, you love history and you love culture. Yeah. Do you, do you find I that do, to be I true? Do. Yeah. Um, I don't know. This is an interesting thing about it because like most Singaporeans wouldn't think I'm from Singapore because they all think I'm, I, I, look, I look very foreign. Mm. Uh, and, and, and I think in, in the Singapore's culture where, they tend to pigeonhole a person with the race and identity. So I don't seem to fit in, even though I look Chinese, but I have a Malay name. And then, yeah, um, you know, sometimes I grew up struggling, wondering why people cannot accept me as a Singaporean, but they have to see me as, as a certain race or identity. But in fairness, you know, like I do things like any other Singaporeans, we love our food, <laughs> we love shopping, you know, we like to review our restaurants and, and yeah, just do things as Singaporean. Brilliant. Well, let's jump back to Portugal and Lisbon specifically. Have you met other freelancers in Lisbon? Um, given the current lockdown, hmm. it's hard. Yeah, it's, I haven't met any. I don't have any friends over here yet Yeah, at all. So I'm kind of hoping that once lockdown is over, there'll be more opportunities to, to meet more people and especially like-minded people. Could you break down some yeah. of the cost of living for Lisbon specifically? Because Lisbon kind of gets this rap of being a very expensive place in Portugal in particular. So what's it like for you? Yeah, this is interesting, Josh, because 
when uh, I noticed in your last blog, you talk about the rent that you paid mm. and compared to the, the building I'm in, yes. it is actually a lot more. And um, I was looking at, at just uh, the rent in, in my building for a T2 apartment, it's cost 1,650 euros. Mm. And uh, that's where, then that's where I realized that, yes, uh, Lisbon is way more expensive than other parts, especially if you are living in the city center area. Um, I'm not in the city center area, but I'm close enough and it's still considered quite expensive. But there are ways you can cut costs or so because despite the rental costs over here, um, you can also like, I think Lisbon in a sense, it gives this uh, variety whether you want to choose very cheaply or you want, want to have a very comfortable lifestyle. So in terms of like groceries, I, you know, I would probably spend maybe like 500 euros a month and uh, transportation, you know, given the pandemic, I'm usually taking Uber and Bolt for safety measures. Uh, that's probably about 50 euros a month. And transportation is, is pretty, you are very affordable in this area. Hmm. Electricity is about 30 euros a month on average, depending. Um, I know some people, they, they are, they are, um, electricity goes up to 70 euros a month during the winter. But mine is has been about 30 to 30 to 40 euros. So that's still okay. Uh, and the winter's mild over here to me. Um, mobile and internet bills. So I have a package where I have internet and mobile. Uh, that's 40 euros. Um, so it includes 10 gigabyte mobile data. Uh, water bill is about 20 euros here on average. Yeah, so that's that's about the, the average cost in, in, in Lisbon. Or at least here where I am. Yeah, those things sound pretty similar. I think for us, we're spending a little less on food. Um, I don't know, maybe because you're you're a chef, so you're you're probably eating much better than we are, and and maybe <laughs> maybe also getting some products that uh, have to be imported, which I think we'll talk about um, in a few questions. I do want to to ask you, what type of lifestyle can you live? Yeah, uh, as I mentioned, uh, yeah, in Lisbon or. In Portugal in general, you can choose the lifestyle really varied from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum, where you can live very cheaply and, and um, you know, go to local restaurants and, and then you can have like the hipster lifestyle or, you know, have very comfortable lifestyle. Mm. So for myself, I'm choosing the middle ground. You know, you can, I can go to a local cafe. If I want to get a latte, maybe cost me like a euro 50 for a latte. Yeah. And then... You know, if I go to hipster place, it costs me three euros fifty. So yeah, so I guess it depends by where you want to choose. Okay. Yeah, I'm not too sure what the prices in Porto, though. <laughs> yeah, so the, I think the prices in Porto are a bit less. Maybe there are a few places where it might cost three fifty for a latte, but I think in general here I'm seeing it for anywhere between two fifty and three, which oh, wow. okay is is a fifty cents or a euro less. But like it does add up over time because there are some people that go every day for a yes. latte, you know. I know, and I'm the type of person where I, I in Australia, I will go out for a latte every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I enjoy that, you know, going to the cafe and just space out a little bit, take a little break. I, I guess lockdown has given me that the opportunity to rethink, and I've been <laughs> making coffee a lot over here. Yeah, same. We feel the same way. How much money do you think somebody needs to start up to like cover their startup cost when they're first moving to Portugal? I think really it depends. You know, to be in general, it may be a, you probably need about ten k to fifteen thousand euros, okay. depending on what you need. Yeah. So, you know, I don't have furniture 
So I, I came here and I bought furniture here only because um, when I was in Australia, before I moved, I contacted FedEx and then FedEx um, seized all logistic services to Portugal until further notice. So that really, you know, cut out a lot of things. So mm -hmm. I have to, I have to uh, really, can I can only bring, you know, very important items, personal items and clothes. That's all I could, I could bring and with a limited baggage. And then when I came here, I had to start to, to uh, open up, you know, get my NIF, get and get the bills and, and uh, the internet and so on, buy a TV, you know, get some home comforts, you know, sofa, dining table. Um, yeah, and then study table for my work. Yeah, so that it all adds up in the end. I, I mean, I never really calculated, but yeah, I, I can safely say it's around the 10,000 to 15,000 range for that. Yeah. Okay, well, kind of in the same vein in, in preparing to move, how should somebody pack and what's the weather like? I think it depends uh, on, on the individual. Uh, for me personally, I find Lisbon's uh, winter pretty mild compared to Australia, mm -hmm. only because it's more humid over here. At the start of the winter, when I first came here, because it was so hot in Australia, coming from summer, immediately coming into winter, so it was a bit of a shock to my body system. So I need a few layers. So I need about three, two to three or four layers sometimes. But now I'm just wearing a t-shirt and, and, a, and a little jumper and that's it. So I, I think, yeah, it really depends. If you cannot take the cold weather, you might need a few layers. But for me, I just need a few, one or two layers, I'm okay. You know, the social media tends to say that Portugal has the best weather and 300 days of sunshine. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> no, it's not. Yes. Yeah. I think like you probably went through the, one of the most depressing winters. <laughs> In a, in, a, in a while and, and it's been gray and cloudy and raining all the time and, and it's and I'm a tropical boy at heart and I like my heat um, so I don't really do well in very cold climate summers do get pretty hot in Portugal but not as hot as Singapore because it's quite dry over here mm -hmm. yeah the days can get really hot but the evenings are really nice yeah so we we found it as well to be a bit misleading when people talk about how sunny Portugal stays because it, it's like what they don't tell you, I guess, is that there's 60 some odd days of straight gray and, and rain. Yeah. It feels like 90 days. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think this, this winter has been uncharacteristically long, but yeah. you know, what can we do? We're, we're almost at the back end of it. We, we both have a little bit of sun peeking through. So I guess still thinking about moving and preparing for life in Portugal, I want to speak to you specifically about Asian products. Are there any Asian products that that you can't find that you really miss? And how do you cope without those things? Things are limited here compared to Australia. And there are some things I brought over from Australia to this part of the world, and but not everything, of course. And uh, yeah, you can, in general, you can find many Asian products, but not everything. I mean, the obvious is I cannot find any Singapore Malaysian restaurants over here. So most of the food I had to cook it myself. Um, then there are certain ingredients like I cannot find Thai basil leaves. Uh, I cannot find candle nuts. I can't find sweet soy sauce, a particular brand that I like. And also like some childhood snacks that I like, like mommy noodle snack. So yeah, so yeah, it's, it's the interesting thing about the products is that it's more catered to the Chinese and with a hint of Japanese, Korean, Thai, Indonesian, but not as extensive 
as I would find in Australia. Mm-hmm. And but so having said that, uh, because I lived overseas for a while, I've learned to cope uh, and then find creative ways to create dishes, finding alternatives. So for example, let's say if I can't find candle nuts, I use macadamia nuts. But in Portugal's case, I still cannot find macadamia nuts. So yeah, so I'm still searching for that. Certain things like tempeh, uh, the fermented soybean, which I can't find over here in Asian grocery stores. And as we speak, I'm actually making my own tempeh. It's fermenting in the oven right now. I'm hoping that will be successful and I can make my own tempeh finally. <laughs> when travel restrictions have been lifted, uh, I might pop over to Dublin or Amsterdam to buy some of these ingredients. Let's switch gears and let's talk about safety. Is it safe there? Do you feel safe on a personal level? Yeah, I think in general, Portugal is a very safe country. And this is a thing I'm, I'm, I was quite surprised that Portugal ranks number three on the Global Peace Index compared right. to Singapore, which ranks number seven. Mm-hmm. So I think in general, it's very safe. Uh, but I do get hassled by homeless people every now and then, uh, people selling drugs, uh, some crazy people over here. But in general, they don't bother you. How I cope with it is that I learned to be a bit more assertive uh, and then, you know, I tell myself, you know, well, well, there's no tourists over here now. So I'm therefore I'm the target. So you just have to be assertive and, and say no and, and or just avoid them as much as you can. I feel really safe over here. No problem at all. So it sounds like you're having a, a really similar experience to us in terms of oh. how you're perceiving safety for sure. I mean, we've talked about it on several different videos with, I don't want to say the homeless problem because I don't think it's it's totally a a major issue. I think the government no, is, not, yeah. is is doing a good job of, of helping with the homeless situation. But the reality is, I think in nearly anywhere in the world, you have some people that are in a sense choosing that lifestyle. So while the government does seem to provide some sort of social help, some people just don't want to take it. They want to live life on their own terms and they remain on the streets, I guess, and beg. Yes, that's true. Yeah. You know, you see senior citizens going around asking for a spare change. And I think that really, that kind of breaks my heart. You know, mm. and then I, I feel like it's not fair for them to, they should be enjoying, you know, retiring and, and watching TV at home and rather than going in the streets asking for spare change. And that, I think that's really uh, quite sad. Mm. Yeah. Well, I know that this is a, a tough question to ask because of uh, the, the restrictions, the lockdown restrictions. But how do you meet people and what can you do in Portugal for fun? So with the current lockdown, yeah, it's, it is impossible to meet anyone. Um, and so like there's no chance for, for network. So it's more like, yeah, I've been staying in touch with friends from home. And and um, I think, I guess for, for Lisbon, my main source of meeting people were um, the, the people I met at the cafes and hotel business, hotel owners. And we exchanged numbers before the lockdown and we, we say hi and just say hello every now and then to check on one another. And I think that's really been a really great thing uh, to know that they're not just uh, people who work at this cafe. They they're, they're sort of become part of this community. Yeah, that's right. I, I really like that. Yeah. And I'm hoping that once this is over, hoping to support local businesses and, us, and especially do small trips around the country. I cannot wait to get out and to to go down to the coast and maybe like even explore like, you know, take day trips or, or weekend trips to Porto, Braga, Coimbra and, and so on. Yeah. Cause yeah, it's been a long while <laughs> being stuck here. We, we feel yeah. the same way. Absolutely. What is the visa process like for you? 
Yeah, that's this inter in the interesting thing because uh, I'm on a D2 visa compared to many people who are on a D7. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, you know, and I'm lucky in that sense because I've seen stories of how frustrated people were applying for visas in the, uh, in the council of embassies in their own country. I think it really depends on your location. So for myself, I applied uh, my visa at the Portuguese consulate in Sydney because of the pandemic, we were not allowed to to visit the embassy, the consulate. We call either call them or we email them, and I email and ask them a few questions, and then that's where I thought, okay, maybe I'll apply for the D two visa. And I remember, like you know, taking about a week to uh, put all the the paperwork together and then send the application. I remember sending on a Tuesday. And then the following Monday, I got a, a, a reply from them saying, yes, I got, I received the visa. That's I got fast. Visa. I know that's very fast. So I was surprised because I was, I was expecting, okay, it's going to take 60 days and everything. But yeah, so that was very fast. So, and I paid about $250 or $230 for my application fee. And um, yeah, and then they asked me when I want my visa to be activated. So I chose for December 2020. So yeah, so that was pretty fast, actually. Wow, great stuff. And this this was something that you did DIY. You didn't hire a lawyer. You did everything yourself. Yes, I was. Uh, initially, I wanted to hire a lawyer. But the more questions I asked with the consulate, the more I thought, okay, let me try to apply on my own first. Yeah. And if I cannot get that, I'll go to a lawyer. So that's how it came about. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, tell us about the healthcare. Is is the healthcare system good? And would you feel comfortable getting a procedure done? I can't say much about this area because I haven't gone to that part yet. And um, and so the current lockdown, you know, healthcare is something that I want to avoid. Yeah. But from what I know, I heard it's pretty good. Uh, in terms of procedure, I guess it depends on the insurance I have. I don't really mind. I'm open to it. Also, it depends on the situation and what kind of treatment I'm looking for. Okay. Well, we have two more questions, but before we get to that, I really do want to give you a moment to explain what you're doing with your Airbnb experiences and then also on your YouTube channel, Weave the Story. So if you could tell us, tell us what you're doing, what you're up to. So my initial plan over here is to start a cooking class uh, through Airbnb experience. So my uh, experience is called Portugal and the Spice Roots. It's an exploration of uh, understanding the Portuguese story, when the Portuguese came over to my part of the world, to Malacca and to Indonesia, mm -hmm. and they, how they colonized and how they introduced new, uh, new foods from the new world, like potatoes, chilies. Uh, pineapple and so on is, is about bringing the story back to Portugal because one of the things I find is that when we talk about the Portuguese uh, colonies they are usually referring to Africa uh, Brazil and to a lesser extent Macau mm -hmm. but they, they don't talk about uh, Southeast Asia mm -hmm. and um, and what I want to show is that you know how Portuguese have influenced my part of the world and I want to introduce these foods to Portugal, and these are the, the cuisine you uh, people have never seen in, in Portugal at all. Sign so, me up. I, I'm <laughs> in. Because, uh, yeah, I travel in Portugal long enough to know that there's no Malay restaurants and no Singapore restaurants, and the, and the Asian food I've, I've, I've eaten in all the other restaurants, it's quite different. So this is something really unique. And my YouTube channel is uh, it's called Weave the Story. 
Um, that's something I developed for over a year. And that's initially that was meant to complement the, uh, the Airbnb experiences. It's sort of like an, an extension. extension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the weave the story is about like sharing um, the food, uh, the the food I eat uh, back in my home country in Singapore, and so around the region, and so like uh, it tells stories about no food is you know comes by coincidence. There's stories behind it, like how why Asian food is so spicy. Is that's because back then you know we used peppercorn, and then because peppercorn was so expensive, when the Portuguese introduced chilies, chilies were a cheaper alternative. Therefore, it just when it just exploded and everything, you know, chilies took over almost everything. Mm. So, uh, yeah, so I'm sharing little histories and stories behind the foods that I cook in every episode. So that's my channel. All right, well, let's jump into the last two questions. The first one is a very common question that people answer on YouTube, which is what are the pros and cons of living in Portugal? Yeah, you want the good news or the bad news first? <laughs> uh, it's your choice, well, dealer's choice. Okay. okay, let's go to the cons first then. <laughs> so, well, the first con is that there's lots of dog poops over here. And this is something I cannot understand. Uh, you know, there's so many irresponsible dog owners and, and people just don't pick up their dog poops. And yeah, you really have to watch out where you walk. The second con, the second thing is that despite the pandemic's been here over a year, people still spitting around. So that's mm. quite concerning to me in a way. I also noticed there's a lot of smokers around this city. Um, not that it bothered me, but what bothered me more is when they smoke and then they just, you know, it blows into your way, especially if you're eating at a cafe. I think that's quite uh, unhealthy. Um, and then the next thing is the uh, bureaucracy. Uh, it's, uh, I think everyone has their own story and everyone has their own version. It's laborious and complicated. And it really depends on who you speak, uh, who the person is, what mood they are in. Yeah, it really depends. Yeah, Some people had it easy, some people had it complicated. Well, I think like yourself, when you guys went over to Seth, uh, your process was pretty easy. Whereas for myself, when I went to Seth, I was denied entry and yeah, I couldn't go in and, and all services has it's been ceased until further notice. Right. So sometimes for me, it's like, it gets so frustrating and I'm just wondering how do locals even go through this? Well, I, I think that we find in the comment section that they don't. They, they're they as fed up as us about it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm sure that it can be improved, but yeah. So hopefully it gets better through time. Yep. And the next thing is, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know about Porto, but I think it might be similar. There's a lot of gravity in this uh, in this city. I mean, there's, I love the street art. There's people here are very creative and artistic, but also at the same time you get, you know, this nice mural and people be you know, spraying graffiti over it. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes in new buildings, they have gravity signs over it. It really, did, yeah, it really looks very distracting and detracts the amazing history and beauty of this place. Mm-hmm. Communicating in Portuguese can be a challenge. When I was a tourist here, I, you know, it was interesting as a tourist, most of the people I spoke, uh, you know, they spoke English. But when you're living here, it's a whole different ballgame where you want to get, let's say, oh, I want to get my TV delivered over here. I had to call the customer service center and, and to, just to get it delivered. Oh, it's just so painful because, you know, you're, they speak Portuguese and they can't speak English and you can't speak Portuguese and you're trying to find a common ground. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's that was a bit of a challenge. I don't expect them to be 
very fluent in English. You know, I'm trying to do, I try to speak as much Portuguese as I can. I try sure. to adapt as much as I can. So that's only so, but so far I can go. Then let's go to the pros. Um, I think for first thing uh, for sure is the, the racism. I don't really feel it over here. Yeah, maybe it's Portugal's history. They seem to have lost that uh, colonial ego, unlike some other places. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's great to see that Portuguese uh, society is quite a forward society where they welcome you and I feel comfortable wherever I go. I don't have to, you know, prove myself in a in a big way, unlike other countries. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting that there's a sense of community over here. Because uh, when I grew up, I, you know, we live in apartments and so in Australia, in apartments, we don't really talk to, to our neighbours, uh, only except maybe a, one or two. And over here, it's like, you know, you, you, your neighbours come to say hello to you, have small talks, and your neighbours also ex- get extended to you, the cafe owners, to hotel owners, to the barista. So I think that's that's really nice yeah. and, and heartwarming. Yeah, And people... People do want to get to know you. Yeah, I could have a, a bad day uh, feeling down and, and walking to this market, buying groceries. And then out of the blue, this lady says hello, bom dia to me. And I'm like, wow, that really you know, makes my day. Mm. Those little things really make, makes my day. Awesome. Next is uh, the safety in this country. Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, I don't have to worry about you know, bringing a lots of expensive items around. Not that I bring, but you know, at least I don't have to worry when I walk go back home late at night or wherever I go. I don't, don't have to worry about pickpockets and so on. And also, I think despite the frustration in the bureaucracy, I do feel very much at home here. There's a sense of comfort here that I feel very much at home. And I can really see myself living here for a few good years. I don't know how long, but yeah, I, I, do, I can see myself long term over here. So yeah. Fantastic. Well, at Expats Everywhere, we believe that living abroad transforms lives. How has living abroad transformed your life? Living abroad definitely has transformed who I am. I see life uh, in a different lens. Um, As much as I like living in Singapore, I love the adventures uh, outside my home country. At times, you can get frustrations and getting out of my comfort zone. I learn more about myself more than I do at home. Traveling overseas and living overseas uh, helps me to be more comfortable in my own skin, embracing my unique heritage. It's kind of great that being here, I don't have to explain who I am. People to see me as Asian and that's it. (laughs) And um, yes, and moving abroad has its frustration, but the sense of adventure outweighs everything else. And uh, definitely I learned to be more street smart, uh, taking risks, be adaptable to various places, able to think on my own two feet, be resourceful. If you guys are interested in more expat interviews here in Portugal, click this playlist right here to check that out. And don't forget to subscribe to get more content like this. Sofian, aka Weave the Story, thank you so much for spending time with expats everywhere. No worries. Thanks, Josh. Bye. Before you go, I just wanted to let you guys know that in the description section, if you're interested in moving to Portugal, we have a DIY D7 visa course. You can take a look at that. And if you like a little video with your audio, go to Expats Everywhere on YouTube. We have hundreds of videos about living abroad all around the world. So you guys can check that out. 
And if you have a little time, if you could rate us on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on, appreciate it. Now let's get moving.